0: Welcome to Paintbrush and Ivories, the podcast for artists and curious creatives that connects creativity with the heart and soul. I'm Michelle Walker, and I'm here with my creative soul sister, Jennifer Ruth Russell. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Michelle. Good to be grooving and laughing with you today. Yeah, yeah. So today's topic is all about the arc of creativity. So, what's our creative process? And one of the things that I was really interested in talking to you about this is because I want to know what's the difference between your creative process as a musician, a a singer, songwriter, because I, as a painter and a jeweler, I have almost completely different creative processes between those two. So I think it's kind of fun to explore that. And also our thinking around the creative process. So I'd love to ask. Yeah. So I'd love to ask you, how about you lead us off and start to seed us with some of the thoughts that you have around your creative process? The creative process to me ha- needs a lot of space,
1: mostly being available in everyday things. Um, I think everybody can relate to this as an artist, that you can take a spark from anything, but it has to hit you in a certain way and it has to hit me in a certain way. Yep. Um, a lot of my songs actually are the documentation of spiritual journey, uh, what mm-hmm. I'm learning, Maybe I read a passage that just lights me on fire, and in order for me to really get it in my cells and in my knowing, because I think you know, you first hear something and excites you, and I want to know more about that. I want it to become part of me. I want to have it part of my knowing. So it's not something outside of me, it's absolutely something that's finally embodied, you know, in my body. So, um, it you, many times, it starts with a passage. And that's why I used to call what I, what I wrote is our, our songs and prayers, you know, meditations, because they seem to always come from a spiritual pro- process for me. So that's where I start. Do you want me to go through the whole process? I think I would like to hear about your starting too at this point.
0: Yeah, I'd love to jump in. So I really need to answer that in several parts. When I'm painting, I love that I've got different ways of starting even within a painting, So sometimes if it's just purely for me and I'm exploring a new set of ideas or a new set of stimulus or even just marks, different marks that I want to try and make, I will just go with a total sort of exploration attitude to the canvas. I'll get some things set up. I usually decide on a palette. So I decide what colors I want to use. And I go with a kind of a childlike curiosity about what does this look like and how do I do I like this and you know so there's all that total interest in what what happens when I do this and Jennifer and I were on Zoom so she can see me waving my arms around while I'm talking because I'm making the marks on the canvas as I speak um, but dear listeners you can't see that So I guess the other side of that with the painting is that I have had the joy and honour of painting three of Jennifer's book covers. And that has been a wonderful experience. But that creative process is something completely different. So I go with a high degree of intention. I know what the topic is that Jennifer's covering within her book. And I actually say a meditation and I paint words into the canvas that represent that topic for Jennifer. I begin the painting around the imagery that Jennifer and I have spoken about. So that is a very intentional process when I've had that joy of doing book covers for Jennifer's three books. And we'll put a link to her three books in the show notes. But it's a very different process for me when I've been commissioned for for doing something compared to if I'm just launching on a play date, if you like, with the canvas. And then the jewellery is something different again. Jewellery is a bit more intentional, probably a bit more like a commission piece. But I'm commissioning myself because there is a bit of play, but it's not quite the same. So Mm. there's some thoughts. There's some responses to that question. You talked about being available, available to the creative process. I love that idea. Tell me some more about that. Well, that's been one
1: of my mantras lately, uh, to be available. In fact, that's one of my mantras now is to make myself available. Uh, I am available because I find that if I'm available for that perfect divine idea, which is a spark of creativity, you could call it either or, it's like the best ideas come through, and I was feeling into what I was going to be doing this weekend with our Sanctuary, which is a healing meditation a gathering that I do once a month on the fourth Sunday, and I was tired. I had just done a retreat for a day, and I, you know, I knew that I wasn't in a very good place, and I said before I went to sleep, listen, I'm available while I'm sleeping, and if there's an idea, wake me up. I'm okay with that because I wanted to get it done before something happened this morning. A mailing actually was going out this morning. And so sure enough, at three o'clock, I woke up with an amazing idea and was able to put it all together in just, you know, about 45 minutes and go back to bed. So I think being available is such an important part of the creative journey. Yeah, but that, that what is the spark, the original spark? Um, I want Can I give you an example? I want to give wow. you an example of a Please spark do. for me. A few years ago, I was really into the Anna books, and the Anna books, Anna was the grandmother of Jesus, and these books by Claire Hartstrong and, and Catherine Ann Clements came out. And so I started exploring the second book, which was very different than the first book. And in the very beginning, opening pages, in fact, in the forward of the book, I read this passage about opening the deep feminine wound of silence. And I was intrigued by that. In fact, the the woman, Claire Hartstra, was channeling this information from the Magdalene's. She had an experience right after she downloaded this. She just had to stand up because this beautiful energy was flowing through her. She even got a whiplash, and she started screaming. It was like a collective release of a silent wound of suffering. And as I read this, it was called Opening of the Mouth, and it was a message from Miriam of Tyana. And I was like, I need to write a song about this. So there was a spark of divinity right there, the spark of creativity coming through. You know, it is time for that which has been silenced to be heard. It is enough. It is enough. It is enough. And so I knew I wanted to write this song, but I didn't get to the song right away. And there seems to be a lot of times like a gestation period for me where I know I'm going to write a song about this. And I would go to the people and kind of move into some ideas. And of course, as time goes on, you learn more about what you're doing about that specific project. So I had a lot of experiences of my own of opening of the mouth. And then we know what's happened with the Me Too movement. And and, uh, that's here in America. We call it that anyway. And uh, so many, the voice of the feminine needs to rise up. And this song happened to come out just before that, which is great. I had a project that I knew I wanted a, a CD of songs, and this one had to go in it because it was to go on the Voice of the Divine Feminine CD. So I literally just sat down and gave my, I'm, here, I made myself available to really get into the techniques that I know of what makes a good song. And this song came through. I allowed time that it needed to come through. Yeah, wow. So it's called Opening Opening of the Mouth, and it's a powerful song. The seeds are right from this book.
0: So you get inspiration from reading passages and, you you know, I love that idea of the writing of the song and then the singing of the song helps you spiritually embed that lesson into your bones, if you like. I love also that you just sit down and make yourself available. I wonder, is there ever stops and starts? Because that feels like the ideal, right? You just go to the piano and put your hands on the keyboards, and it comes through you. Um. Many, many, many starts and stops.
1: <laughs> thank goodness! Yes. <laughs> yes, Thank goodness, because if it's not flowing, I'm not going to stay there. I'm not yeah. going to force it because yeah. it's not going to be a good song. And I'm, I'm so grateful for Jack Smalley as my teacher as I was learning how to cr- the craft of songwriting saying to me every good melody comes right from inside you know inside your head it's not going to be anything that you have to steal from another songwriter and that has sustained me so if i know there's a good melody that all of a sudden rises out of the words and a lot of times it happens with the words the words kind of have you know it is time for that which has been silenced to be heard so there's rhythm right there the motif has been set up it's kind of like you setting up your palette you know, you know that that is, it is time for that which has been silenced to be heard. It is time for closed inner ears to open. So here's that it is time kind of coming in as a rhythm that wants to be repeated over and over again. The one thing that I regret is in the recording, they speak about the Divine Mother as Isis. And I had that beautiful name in the lyric. My husband and, of course, another singer who happened to be male was with me at the time, and he, and they both agreed that Isis was just too hot of a word at that time to be put into a song, and I regret that because I wish I had just listened and left it in there because it's a name that needs to be on. So I just wanted to add that as a footnote.
0: I agree with the idea for me when I come to the painting process in particular, but it does happen at times also with my jewellery and enamelling. But that it's got its own rhythm, and I like you pick your phrases that become the sort of anchor of your song. I've got the sort of marks that I want to make that are repeated in different scales and different colours, and perhaps it with using different mark making tools. But there is that repetition which gives harmony to the work. But the mm. thing that I've completely come to understand is that a painting has its own arc. And it's not about me forcing it. So, just like you said, if it's not flowing, you just get up and leave the keyboard. That happens for me as well. And as soon as I feel myself tightening, it's mm-hmm. a physical feeling. You know, it's kind of that. Uh, um, yes. Yeah, that's that's the time to walk away. And it doesn't matter if I've still got paint on my palette. I'll just grab some paper or tissue paper and just you know use up all that paint somewhere else that I can use in another um, in another way as collage material, for example. So I don't have a sense of, oh, I've got to keep going. But I, I do have more so these days. I have a lot more of a conversation with my painting. What does it need? Mm, what I do love you that. It's, it is, while it's of me, it, it's not only about me. So there's actually almost a separate entity to the work that I've come mm-hmm. to respect and honor. And that seems to work really well. And I know that sounds a bit, maybe a bit loopy, that people would say, what? You talk to your painting? Your painting talks to you? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> loopy?
1: As- it's a living, breathing thing. I love that. And so what are the kind
0: of answers that, that you hear back? Sometimes it's about just getting, actually, sometimes it's just about not now. That's the answer. Mm -hmm. Don't keep going, not Mm -hmm. now. Don't, whatever you're about to do, not now. That's not what we want. And, you know, I know I've spoken in a previous episode at some point that there was a couple of paintings that sat on my wall. I painted them, I took them, left them for six months. I took them another bevy of steps forward and then got sort of stopped again. I was going to say stuck, but. I've come to understand it's not about stuck. And initially, I used to think of it as being stuck because I didn't know what to do next. You know, like I, I, it was actually a bit of self-criticism that, oh, I don't, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do next. And I'm not, therefore, there's something about my painting practice that's not good enough. But I actually don't use that word anymore. I've just accepted that it's not progressing, that particular painting doesn't Mm -hmm. need to go anywhere right now. And it's almost like I need to go off and do five other paintings or 15 other paintings and come back with something. I come back with a gift from that journey that I bring to the painting. And the one that I'm thinking of that I've just, you know, I finished um, a handful of weeks ago called Poems of Rust and Water, which was all about the drought that we had here on the farm. I adore it. It's my latest work. I always fall in love with my very latest work. I still love all my others, but my <laughs> most favourite child is the one I've just produced. I'm utterly, utterly, you know, in love with it. And that's where I know it's finished as well, that there's this kind of complete um, love affair with the work that I adore it, yes. there's nothing I would add to it, and nothing I want to take away. I love that. So that arc for me is very non-linear. Is that for you? Yes.
1: Jane? Yes, absolutely. It feels like a pregnant pause. You know, it feels like that place of, you know, this thing is moving in you. You know that it wants to be birthed. It's something that's coming forth, but it's not quite ready yet. Just like I've learned to to be patient with the recording process because it always takes three times longer than you think it's going to take. And when I finally surrendered, like, okay, this is just going to be what it's going to be. It's going to take this long. And I always love going and looking at nature, you know, nature, it finds a way to deal with the droughts, it it finds a way to deal with um, too much rain, you know, it, it, it has a way of being just in the moment. So those moments of taking a pregnant pause, or we could say surrendering to the process, means that it's not quite ready yet. It's there's something that needs to happen, especially to me. yeah. There's something else that I need to know. It's almost like there's not enough information that has been gathered yep. for this to completely reveal itself. Of course, a lot of that information is emotional information. It, it's like a, a knowing uh, in my body or in my my heart that hasn't quite developed yet. It's that beautiful place of just being okay with the spaciousness. You know, I call it the spaciousness of grace, just <laughs> allowing it to to be okay, and that's what makes deadlines sometimes helpful and sometimes not.
0: Oh, I was just going to say that exact same point is I need to create a lot of space between me and a deadline because I know Mm -hmm. that that time pressure will constrict me and make me feel, it will bounce me out of the flow basically. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. I can come into the flow when I don't have those pressures and I'd really like to talk about the flow because for me that's a crucial part of the whole creative process and creative arc and something I utterly adore, you know, that I'm in my studio and Ian will knock on the door and say, are you coming over for lunch? And I'll go, yep, I'll be there in five minutes. And he'll pop his head in an hour later and say, I'm off into the paddock now. (laughs) and I I won't have put down my tools because I'll actually have lost consciousness about linear time. And Mm -hmm. I loved years ago in my, my, I guess, mid-20s, I struck a book called Flow and it's by a Hungarian psychologist called Csikszentmihalyi and I'll put his name and link. There's a great TED talk that he does that people, if they don't know this author, they would very much enjoy, I think, hearing his story and his ideas about flow and creativity. And he talked initially about happiness, but he also, in the second book that he wrote that I read, Creativity, It's really looking at the psychology of discovery and invention, and he interviews a ton of people from all different fields and disciplines, and it's such an interesting read because, you know, although there are some poets and artists in there, you realise what a universal experience, this state of flow is. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that really can shut down flow is distractions. And you talked about being available, you know, and that's that's the expansiveness of time, isn't it? And consciousness, Mm -hmm. you're expanding yourself consciously to be available for the spark to come in. I want to do a quick quote by Mahali because this kind of landed for me. The best moments in our lives are not the passive, receptive, relaxing times, the best moments usually occur if a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. And that, for me, sums up every bit of creativity. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It reminds me
1: a little bit of Rollo May saying, you know, that you get agitated before you really, your best creative. Um, you know, I've, I've experienced that too.
0: Agitated, I love that word agitated. I I would consider it kind of creative restlessness, would be my Mm -hmm. take on that. You know, there's something that needs to come out. Is that what you mean by Mm -hmm. agitated?
1: Absolutely. You know, you gotta throw your brush across the room or you have to just bang on the piano like a three-year-old for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like yes this thing wants to come forth but it's not it's not there what does it need what does it need what do you need what do you need you know yeah, yeah. it's it's like I want I wanted it to come come out I wanted it to be here but it's
0: not it's it's taking its sweet time it knows its own path I think mm-hmm. what I found useful in reading Chicksen Mahali's book around flow was understanding what helps us get into flow and what can bounce us out so that that one of distraction is really about turn off my phone. I have to take my phone in because I usually want to use it as a camera, but it's always on silent. And I've just recently discovered a functionality in my new phone that blocks all unknown caller numbers because I would get half a dozen calls during the day that were just spam. And I've found that so frustrating. So now basically if you're not in my address book, you don't get through, you have to leave a message. And that has been utterly wonderful for me because that sense of uh, lack of distraction is really important. And similarly, I can't listen to things often while I'm in the creative process. So I know a lot of my art friends listen to music or they um you know, and they love their music or they have favourite podcasts that they play while they're painting. I can't. And apparently there's some brain wiring that I have a particular type of brain that audio input actually distracts my brain process. I found that out from a brain scientist Mm -hmm. at a conference once, which I thought was really interesting. So I need silence so that you know distractions I do too I'm so glad you said that yeah I'm glad you said that
1: I do I do too I need it to be silent I don't want because it it's so distracting to me my phone you know our our cell phones are a blessing but they're also a curse because
0: I think they're one of the biggest reasons people get out of the flow definitely I think it's important for us to understand distractions can be on many levels Distraction is a really big one that knocks us out. So I'll just quickly read through the eight characteristics of flow that Mahali describes in his book. And I just love it because I think it helps us anchor in and be mindful of what we're doing when we're going into our studios or into the, the sort of space that we've carved out for ourselves, both time and physical space. So the first one's complete concentration on the task. So that The flip of that is being distracted. So that's sort of, I guess, where that fits in. Clarity of goals and reward in mind and immediate feedback. So that could be as small as just getting the next five minutes of painting done on my canvas. It's not about I'm going to take this canvas and it's going to win awards. You know, it's not that kind of goals and reward. I think for me, it can be a lot more micro. The third one is transformation of time. And that is definitely a characteristic where time for me just warps. I can look at my clock and then I look back at my clock and an hour and a half has gone and I haven't really been conscious of it at all. And I adore, actually really am quite addicted to that sense of timelessness, partly because I've got the whole time (laughs) thing going on. I don't know if you've got a response to that, you know, the sort of falling away of linear time. Oh, it's one of my favorite places to be. Yes. (laughs) And the other um, the other couple that he lists, the experience is intrinsically rewarding, which I really get, you know, and, and that there is an effortlessness and ease with what we're doing when we're in the creative flow. So I do this and then I do that and then I try this and no, that doesn't work. So I go back here and what about this? And oh, yeah, that works. And, you know, so there's an effortlessness with that process. The other thing I love is this idea of the balance between challenge and skills, and I think that in my early days of painting, I was perhaps too lacking in confidence to really have that balance, whereas now I feel like I've kind of got my groove going. The last couple of awareness is merged with our actions and that we kind of lose our sense of self and we don't do that standing off critic kind of voice. It's gone and that everything is under, under our control. So we to a degree that we want it to be under our control. So that's the list of the elements or the characteristics of that flow state or being in the zone, as I think of it as. What are your thoughts about that? Does that spark anything for you?
1: Oh, I love that list. Um, You know, the thing that sparked when you said effortlessness, I think that is changing. But as our thinking of we have to work hard at what would be valuable, most artists, it is an effortless thing. It has taken me a long time to value that effortlessness because it was too easy. I needed to do something else instead of that because if it was a little difficult for me and it was a challenge for me, then it was more valuable. So I love that effortlessness and ease. And that's what I've been experienced with the new, the light language songs that are flowing through me. It's just so effortless and I can't take it through the usual checklist of, well, did it do this? Did it do that? Is it in alignment with this and that and this? You know, is it going to be a hit on the radio, (laughs) for instance? You know, it's just like, yeah, I don't have to think about any of that anymore. And it it has freed me up to a whole nother level of effortlessness and ease. So I think if I would say anything to my former self about this, which we say this often in this show, is let the effortlessness be your true north, you know, Mm. where you need to be going because I can't tell you how long in my life I asked that question what am I supposed to be doing you know what am I supposed to be doing with my life and I know I all the while doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing
0: yeah <laughs> yes hallelujah mm-hmm. the other thing that I found in in my reading because I'm a bit of a positive psychology nerd and I, I just I love brain science and I love um, you know how how our mindset and our mindfulness interacts with our creativity and I think you'll enjoy this. So I found from research that the personal trait of conscientiousness is positively correlated with being able to get into flow. So you who I know is super conscientious, you're a worker, you just keep at it. And this goes back to the thought and the conversation that we have had in our previous episodes where I was talking about, you know, the advice of just make, just make lots, make lots of work. It's that conscientiousness Mm -hmm. that taught me how to get into the flow which built my confidence, which now means Mm. that I can go into the flow more easily. And I think there's something in that about the road to mastery, about making lots of work and that embodied experience that results from that, which comes with its own brand of personal ease and personal confidence, that you've got a degree of control over the tools and the techniques that you're using And the flip side of that, which I also found quite interesting, is that if you have a personal tendency for being anxious or uh, self-critical, that's actually more likely to knock you out of flow. So it's another reason Mm -hmm. to really work on the inner critic in a loving way, and embracing the inner critic rather than letting the inner critic rule the roost, you know? So, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about that place within
1: a performer, you know, to to become a performer that can just do your thing without feeling conscious, because I took it as another way than maybe you meant it, but that self-consciousness of somebody else watching you do what you do, it's another level of skill you know, it's another level of doing it over and over again, so that it feels natural for someone else to be listening to you. Because it's, it's a strange phenomenon that you're sitting here playing, you're doing your thing that you do. And someone is sitting there watching you and listening to what you're doing. Yeah. And it's a beautiful circle. But if you're, Stepping into that part of your mind that is watching instead of being in the moment, you're going to start getting nervous and start making mistakes. And those, of course, that makes for more like self-consciousness, yeah. like, oh, no, we're going down the rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a vicious yeah. cycle, isn't it? Like it feeds itself that self-awareness. And I think that, you know, that's actually one of the things that Mahali talks about is the lack of self consciousness and self-awareness when you're in the flow state and you know what you just talked about then in terms of the performer i think of that as unconsciously competent so you're not thinking about your competencies you're just doing the thing that awareness yes. and action just merges how beautiful to me the only way to get to that place too
1: is to do it over and over and over again and i'm really grateful that my mom whenever cuz she was a hostess of hostesses she would love to have people over for dinner and she would always say, okay, girls, play something, you know. So we, at yeah, at a young age, were asked to perform. And that was such a gift, I see now, because it was just natural. It was just part yeah. of the gathering.
0: Yep, yeah. I love that.
1: Another distraction is time. We can use time as a distraction. You know, I've got to get this done. I only have half an hour to create I think it's really important to become a master of time. In other words, tell time what you need it to be for you. Because you can absolutely create in a short amount of time, but do you really prefer to do that? Or would you rather have, you know, expansive of time? And I know when I started getting really serious about songwriting, I was a single mother taking care of an elementary kid, and I had to get him up for school every morning. So I would get up before he did, and that was my writing time. I really carved out a time that was my creative time. And there's something that happens when you do create a space and give yourself permission to be available that I think is really important. I just wanted to say that. So time is not a distraction.
0: I agree in that I have intentionally put out, I need this next 20 minutes to balloon out, to take in everything that I need to get done and to be incredibly productive without having to effort that and for it to just happen naturally. And it can actually happen. It's an interesting thing. You know, I I talk a lot about time with you as a friend, but also, you know, it's come up here on the podcast. It's still a skill I'm trying to master, that sort of time bending, time warping, because it is very Mm. possible. It's very rubbery. It is. The concept of linear time is, is not useful necessarily. We're not constrained by this
1: dimension of time and space. No, And you can really start manipulating time. And I I am doing that. I do it all the time, (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Time bender, we're
0: going to call you the time bender. All right. Well, what a lovely opportunity to chat to you about our arc of creativity. And I'm delighted, Jennifer, in our conversation to realize there's so many commonalities, even though you put your hands on the keyboards and I put my hands on brushes and paint, that there's so many things that. We both share in how we go through and how we honor that process. Do you have any other last thoughts about what you want to share today on this topic about the arc of creativity? The only thing I want to say is learn
1: your arc of creativity and honor it because yours is going to be so different than anyone else's. And it's important to honor the process, you know, not to try to rush yourself. I was just giving a piano lesson today and the left hand was being lazy. And I said, give that left hand all the attention she needs, you know, let her determine what the tempo is going to be because she's a little following a little bit behind. And I I feel like I want to share that same sense of, you know, your arc of creativity. Uh, Be gentle with the process because it is absolutely a very uh, beautiful thing to honor what you need to create. To me, it is of ultimate importance to listen to that.
0: Absolutely. And it, it's part of the sacred journey of creativity for me is that understanding of the nature and the texture and the timing of it for me as an individual. And that's what I would recommend everyone just pay attention to that and be really mindful and and treat it as a sacred thing because I think it is. <laughs> I think it's a divine Absolutely. a divine activity. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So as we sign off today, Miss Jennifer, you've got something that you want to share at the end of our podcast. Do you want to tell our listeners what that is?
1: Oh, I'd love to share the song Opening of the Mouth, which I mentioned in this podcast. And it's from not directly, of course, I always have to do some interpretation of the words, but it's from Anna, the voice of the Magdalene by Claire Hartstrong. And Catherine Ann Clement was the source of this song. And the song is called Opening of the Mouth. And I'd love to share it with you.
0: Beautiful joy. Thank you, Jennifer, for being here. Thanks everyone for listening, and I know you'll enjoy Jennifer's song. Till next time. Bye for now. Thanks, Michelle.
2: It is time for that which has been silenced to be heard. It is time for closed inner ears to open so that the mother. Father's voice can be heard. It is time for the silent wound of suffering to be healed. It is time for the fear that has closed our voices to sing at last, to be laid to